My topic is titled, Is the Church of Christ a Denomination? It seems to me the confusion over that question is the fact that many people fail to understand exactly what the church is and exactly what a denomination claims to be. The word church in its very basic meaning refers to being called out and came to recognize and identify those people who had been called out of a world of sin into a saved relationship with Jesus Christ. And it refers, of course, to all, or includes rather, all who have been called into God's service and could not be correctly used in a denominational sense, mainly because the church is the called-out body of Jesus Christ. No denomination even claims to contain all the saved in the world. In fact, you can't find a denomination tonight, regardless of how large or influential they may be, who will tell you that only the members of that denomination are saved. They believe, or they believe that they're saved people in all denominations who follow various beliefs and various practices. The word denomination, on the other hand, suggests a fraction or a part of a whole. No denomination claims to be the complete body of Christ. No denomination claims to be the complete church that Jesus promised to build in Matthew 16 and verse 18. And so we have in our religious world today hundreds and possibly even thousands of organizations claiming to be a part of the church that Jesus built. The truth is, of course, the church that Jesus built is not a part or a fraction of anything. In other words, it is the complete and total body of those people throughout the world who have been saved. The scope of the Lord's church includes the saved of all people, and no single denomination claims that or actually does contain all the saved in the world. Their contention that there are saved people in all denominations actually uh, gives them away to the contradiction between what they believe and what they practice and what the Bible actually teaches. In Acts, the second chapter, when the Apostle Peter was preaching the great sermon of that day, the Bible says when the people heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. They that glad received his word, we're told, were baptized. And there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and parted them to each man as everyone had need. And they, continuing daily with one, in the court in the and with one accord in the temple, did either meet with gladness and singleness of heart. The Bible goes on to say that the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. What does it mean by that? To what were these people added? You remember Jesus had said in Matthew 16, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevent that or prevail against it. And so these people were being added to the church. Now, the large circle that you see up here is representative of the church that Jesus built. It contains all saved people in the world. 
Doesn't matter what continent you live on, what city you're a part of, every person who's been saved according to God's plan is added to that church. Jesus Christ is the head of that church. The universal church is not an organic body. The universal church merely is a body of people containing all people who have purified their souls in obeying the truth. We often refer to it as the body of Christ. These people who have been called out of the world by the gospel into God's service constitute the family of God or the kingdom of God in this world. In Ephesians 5 and verse 23, Paul said, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. I've already pointed out that this is not an organic body. There's not a sense of organization in it other than the fact that Jesus is the head of it. And every one of us who are members of his church are a part of that universal body. This universal organization is a spiritual relationship and not an organization as such. In other words, we have a relationship with all other people in the world who have been saved. There are people tonight in the world that I have never met, but they are my brothers and sisters in Christ. There are people in the Lord's church tonight whose, the color of whose skin is different from mine. They speak a language I don't understand, and I probably speak one they don't understand. They're still my brothers and sisters in Christ. We all are a part of the family of God. We all are a part of the same. We're a part of this organization that Jesus said upon this rock, I will build. Jesus Christ is the head, which signifies our relationship as a member of the church to him. Because he is the head of the church, we have a relationship with him, and we are subject to him. It also indicates the authority that he has over the body of Christ. Colossians 1.18, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. By being the head of the church, he represents authority in the universal church. Now, the Bible also refers to this group of people that have obeyed the Lord as the uh, house of God, the family of God, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, and Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Here's a thought. If indeed the universal church represents all the saved in the world and represents the family of God, God certainly has no children outside his family. And if God has no children outside his family, that means he has no children outside of his church. And for me to be in the family of God, I need to be in the church that Jesus built. Again, this organization is referred to as the temple of God, compared to a temple in which we're told the Holy Spirit dwells and therefore denotes our relationship to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, verse 21 and 2, and 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15. The term church is also used to refer to those who have been called out in any given locality. These smaller circles in this large circle represent congregations of Christians. In other words, when an individual obeys the gospel, he is, not a, he is added to the universal church. He's not added to a local body. We may become a part of a local body by joining ourselves to that congregation. You remember when Paul went down to the city of Jerusalem after being baptized and accepting the Lord, the Bible says that he is saved to join himself to the disciples. And so today, when an individual is baptized, there might be someone here tonight who's from a distant city, 
And if you were to obey the gospel this evening and you were being baptized into Christ, the Lord would add you to his church, the universal church, the saved of all the earth. You might go home to the town where you live and join yourself to a group of disciples there that regularly and scripturally meet in serving the Lord. And so we become a part of a local church by joining ourselves to that. We're not baptized into a local church. We're baptized into Jesus Christ. We may change our location from time to time and become a member of any one of these local congregations wherever they might exist. The church in its local sense is not only a relationship, but it's also an organic body. In other words, it has an organization. According to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 and Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, the Bible teaches that there were elders in the churches. They appointed elders in the churches who, who would guide and lead the flock in a given locality. The elders of any congregation exercise authority, however, only over the congregation of which they are a member and over which they rule and to which they serve. And so, as a local congregation, there is an organizational pattern. And there are elders, there are deacons, and uh, then there may be evangelists that are a part of that organization, a local church. And uh, this organic body of the local church is a part of God's scheme and plan in the building of the church in the beginning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, under the church of God at Corinth. That was a, a locality. That was a local place. And Paul was addressing his letter, not to the church universal, but he addressed a letter to the church at Corinth. There were problems in that church. He made recommendations as how to rectify those problems. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 1, the, the epistle is addressed to the church of the Thessalonians. And so what we have here is this organic form of existence that Christ has given his church on this earth. It was the Lord's plan that everybody being baptized would be added to the church and then there would be local assemblies of congregations throughout the world. In the local church, we're members. And as a result, we bear a particular relationship to each other as members of the local body. We work together in carrying out our mission to make the gospel known to all men. And if you're a member of a local congregation of the Lord's Church tonight, you know what it means to gather on the Lord's Day and worship. You know what it means to have a gospel meeting. You know what it means to be involved in any work that that congregation has undertaken. The church functions through the local organization and not through any universal medium or organization. The universal church doesn't function. The universal church, is, as I've already pointed out, is not an organic body. The universal church is a, is a collection of all saved people over whom Christ rules and reigns. However, as a local congregation, a local organization of the Lord's church, then obviously we as members of that organization, of that church, of that particular local body, have duties to perform. Each local church is autonomous. That means self-governing. These three circles just are there to represent congregations. Not a one of those three circles has any authority over the other two. Each local church has authority for itself, and the elders or leaders of that congregation exercise authority over that church. Church number one here cannot dominate number two and three because they are individual organizations. They are individual localities of the Lord's church. Each congregation administers its own discipline. 
That's important that we recognize tonight, and we're going to get to the denominational side of this in just a minute, but we need to realize that denominations have their own, uh, their own plans or organizational patterns uh, of discipline, authority, and things of that nature. I'm not going to go into depth about this, but I want to mention, first of all, the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, of course, has the Pope, and the Pope is over the entire organization. Beneath the Pope, there are, I think, approximately 80 cardinals. Then beneath the cardinals, there are the bishops. And then beneath the bishops, there are the parish priests or something of that nature. What you have here is kind of a pyramid. A pyramid where you have one man who's over the entire organization, another group of men under him, very authoritative men under him, under them others perhaps less authority, and then under those perhaps even less authority. But at any rate, they're a part of the organizational structure. I live in Springfield, which is the headquarters of the Assemblies of God denomination. Well, I went over there the other day trying to find out if they had a chart about their organizational pattern. Well, the people I talked to didn't know anything about that. They didn't know where I could find that. But I knew enough about it to realize that, first of all, they have what they call a general superintendent. I used to be rather friends, uh, rather friendly with the preceding one. He had been there for years, and we knew each other, and I talked with him from time to time, but they've got a new one now. He's the general superintendent. Under the general superintendent, they have districts, and each district has a head over that district. And then under those districts, there are congregations, uh, and their, their structure uh, of organization is somewhat like that. I mention all that to call this to your memory. A few years ago, they had a preacher who had been granted a license to preach by the name of Jimmy Swaggart. Well, poor old Jimmy got into trouble down in Louisiana for doing some things he shouldn't have done. But you know, who called him into question was not the local church of which he was a member, but the mother church in Springfield, Missouri the district in Springfield, Missouri. And so they called a meeting, the, the general superintendent over the entire denomination called a meeting of all the district leaders and the district leaders came together and agreed to withdraw his preaching credentials. They were the ones who exercised discipline over this man. Had that, had that man been a member of the New Testament church, the local church would have made that decision. The local church would have decided whether or not he should continue to preach, whether or not he should be fellowshiped, whether or not he should be benched, what should happen to him because of the sin that he had committed. And that's the vast difference between the organizational structure of the Lord's church and the structure of most denominations. Now, the Southern Baptists, of course, have a president. I was privileged a few years ago to be in San Antonio, Texas when they were having their their annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I went to it, and I wanted to see exactly what was going on. Would you believe the first preacher I ran into was the preacher for the First Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri? And he looked at me, and he said, what's a Church of Christ preacher doing at a Baptist convention? I said, checking up on you Baptists. That's what I'm here for. Well, he, as the president of that convention, can exercise discipline over churches throughout the area, throughout the United States. In fact, about four years ago, the Southern Baptists believe it's wrong for a woman to be a pastor. They don't believe a woman can be a pastor. But a church in Atlanta, a Southern Baptist church in Atlanta, elected a woman to be their pastor. You know what they did? The convention withdrew from her, withdrew from that church, kicked the church out of the convention. There was nothing local about it, 
but because of the hierarchy of their organization, that's the way that it was handled. The large church, these small circles here that could be compounded into the hundreds, each congregation is an autonomous unit. Each congregation determines its own business. Each congregation takes care of its own business and has no authority over any other congregation. Each congregation administers its own discipline. The individual Christian in fellowship with the congregation of the Lord's Church shares a relationship and has obligations of that congregation, its elders and members, that does not have that it does not have toward any other congregation on earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, Hebrews 10, 25, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 and 12, Titus 1, 9 through 12. As a member of a local church, <clears throat> I have an obligation to assemble every Lord's Day with that congregation. Now that doesn't mean I can't travel and visit another church, but my primary obligation is to the church of which I'm a member. You know, we need to realize that. We need to realize that as, a, as an autonomous body, we are obligated to this congregation. You members here are obligated to this congregation. This is your home church, and you're obligated to it. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the characteristics of the undenominational church. First of all, it has no denominational founder. The undenominational church, the church that Jesus built, does not have a local founder. Jesus founded the church. It was founded by Christ, Matthew 16 and 18, not founded by man, such as John Calvin, Martin Luther, or John Wesley. Secondly, it has no denominational head. I've already pointed out to you how these various organizations have a denominational head. But the church doesn't have that kind of head. Jesus Christ is the head of the church and no one else. Ephesians 3 verse 22, as the husband is the head of the wife, even so Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church. As a result of that, the undenominational church recognizes no earthly head or no earthly headquarters. If someone were to ask you, and you might well have this question asked by some denominational person, where are the headquarters of your church? Now when you tell them it's in heaven, they're going to look at you like you've lost your mind. They don't understand that. Each one of them has some kind of a headquarters, either Rome, Italy, or Springfield, Missouri, or some other locale in this world. The headquarters of the church, of course, is, a, is the Lord. He is the head of the church, according to the Bible. And as a result of that, we don't have a headquarter city. Thirdly, the undenominational church has no denominational creed. We do not have a human creed, but that doesn't mean that we have no creed at all. The word creed is from the Latin credo, which means I believe. And so our creed is, the, is simply what we believe. Most all denominations have some kind of a human creed or confession of faith or a discipline or a book of rules. The only book the undenominational church has is the Bible. And our only creed is faith in what that word teaches and faith in Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. We have no creed but Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter answered. Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee also that upon this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus died and went to the Hadean realm, but that did not keep him from returning and building his church. And that's exactly what that verse teaches. It teaches that even though he was to die, and even though he would go into the Hadean realm for three days, he returned to build the church. Matthew 16 and verse 16, he said, But whom say ye that I am? And to that question Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Every person who becomes a member of this undenominational church confesses, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. We are, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 21, under law to Christ alone. We are not under law to any man. We're not under law to any other organization, spiritually speaking. We are under law to Christ, Galatians 6 and verse 2. There is one universal creed. The one article of faith essential to salvation is given in John 8 and verse 24. Therefore, I have said unto you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he you will die in your sins. Hebrews 11 and 6, For without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Thus when this young man, I suppose young man, this man from Ethiopia, who had been to the city of Jerusalem only to discover that he had worshipped in error and didn't have the truth, upon his return to home while reading from Isaiah, don't know whether he purchased that copy in Jerusalem or whether he had it when he came there. But at any rate, he was reading from it. And when Philip joined himself to the chariot and asked him, do you understand what you read? He said, how can I accept some man guide me? Philip guided him through the necessary information needed to become a Christian. And they came to a certain water and he said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, you can if you believe with all your heart. And he made the good confession, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We're not told anymore at that point, but we have to believe that he went on back home and obviously spread the gospel himself and baptized others and had a congregation or a church there where he could worship and carry on the work of the Lord. And so we don't look to any book of discipline or rule of faith and practice, but we look to the Scriptures. For all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly or completely furnished unto every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. The teaching of the Scriptures is sufficient to cover every problem of congregational organization and activity. Human creeds are therefore unnecessary. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and 3, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to glory and virtue. You know, one thing about human creeds is the fact that they change from time to time. They meet every few years and they reorganize their, uh, their priorities. They reorganize their faith, really. And what the creed teaches at one time may not teach in five, in five years. But what God's Word teaches, it has always taught, and it always will. It will always be there. You can depend on what God has said. That's why we appeal to no authority but God's Word. Let me emphasize this. The church that Jesus built, that He promised in Matthew 16 and 18, and that was built and started on the first Pentecost after His resurrection, has no denominational name. 
It has never borne a denominational name. In the scriptures, the church of the New Testament is known, first of all, as just simply the church, Ephesians 3.10 and Colossians 1 and verse 24. Or the church of God, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. It's referred to as the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. The church of the Lord, Acts 20 and verse 28. The church of Christ. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, My church. And Romans 16 and 16, where various congregations were noted when the Bible says the churches of Christ salute you. The individual members of this church were known as disciples, Acts 11 and 26. As Christians, Acts 11, 26, 26, 28, and 1 Peter 4 and verse 16. They were called saints in Romans 1 and 7, Philippians 1 and 1, and Colossians 1 and 2. They were called brethren in Colossians 1 and 2 and James chapter 1 and verse 2. The children of God, Galatians 3 and verse 26. And as priests, Revelation 1 and 5 and 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Any one, any one of these names are scriptural names. Any reference to the church or to individual members of the church that we can read in the Word of God is a scriptural way to refer either to the church or to the members of that congregation. We may refer to the church using any descriptive name recorded in the Bible. We may call it the Church of Christ, which it is. However, referring to it as that does not limit that does not limit our, our speaking to one descriptive phrase. We could also call it the body of Christ and be just as scriptural as calling it the church of Christ. It has no denominational organization. We have no ecclesiastical organization in the Lord's church. There are no popes, no cardinals, no archbishops, no church councils, no synods, or no conventions. You don't read about any of that in the Bible. And as a result of that, the undenominational church of Jesus Christ has that, does not have that type of ecclesiastical organization. Each local church, these little three circles here, many others in the, in the world, they are independent Christian societies under the authority of Jesus Christ as revealed in the New Testament. They answer only to the Lord, only to His Word. We are under His rule and under His authority. There's no board of directors over any church. There's no hyper-organizational structure over any church. Each local church, with men qualified, has a plurality of elders to oversee the flock, according to Acts 14, 23, 20, verse 28, and Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. To assist the elders in the material and spiritual affairs of the church, there was a plurality of deacons in the apostolic church, according to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. It's also important that we recognize that there has, there is no denominational worship in this church built by Jesus Christ. We have no denominational rites. We don't carry on denominational ceremonies or forms of worship such as infant baptism. We do not baptize infants because we do not believe that infants are born in sin. We don't have a Sunday where we bless all the animals and people bring their cats and dogs and we have a service of blessing the animals like many uh, uh, denominations are doing today. We do not recognize special days. We don't have some kind of a Christmas play or a Christmas program. We don't have some kind of an Easter parade. We do not participate in events of that nature. 
We merely seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4 and verse 24. On the Lord's day, the worship of the church built by Jesus Christ consists of breaking the bread or observing the Lord's Supper. Acts 20 and verse 7, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26. Every first day of the week because every, every week has a first day. And it was on the first day of the week the disciples came together to break bread in Acts 20 and 7. Unfortunately, many of the denominations only have the Lord's Supper maybe uh, once every three months, maybe twice a year, maybe once a year. And many of them make the argument, well, you know, it seems to me if you do it over and over, you just simply, uh, it loses its meaning and it, it loses its value. And yet I'll guarantee you every one of them wants to eat every day two or three times and they don't think that loses its value or meaning because they're willing to do that. Well, by the same token, we observe the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day because the Bible teaches that's when New Testament churches did over here at Troas. They were observing the Lord's Supper. This congregation did. And we do that every Lord's Day. We contribute of our means. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, on the first day of the week when we gather, that's when we contribute of our means. That's why we won't take up a collection tonight. We don't take up a collection during any gospel meeting every night. We don't pass the basket. We don't ask people for free will offerings. And the reason we don't is because the undenominational character of the New Testament church demands that we give only on the Lord's day when we gather for worship. In Ephesians 5 and verse 19 and Colossians 3.16, we sing praises to God as we did tonight. We pray according to Luke 18.1, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, and 1 Timothy 2 and 8. And then we have preaching or edification according to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. I also want to point out to you that the undenominational church has no denominational requirements for membership. What I mean by that is you don't have to tell an experience before we would, in, we would invite you into the church. You don't have to prove to us by some dream you've experienced or some vision you saw or some feeling that you can't explain that you must have been saved. And that has been a part of denominationalism for hundreds of years. In order to prove that you've been saved, you have to have some kind of experience to validate that. Many times people come to what some refer to as old-fashioned revivals and come down to the mourner's bench and try to pray through. Many of them leave disappointed, dejected, because for some reason the heavens didn't open and they don't feel that they did pray through. Listen, that's denominational dogma and doctrine. That's not New Testament teaching. Nobody ever went to a mourner's bench in the New Testament. Nobody ever had to give an experience of salvation before they were baptized into Christ. They merely had to recognize the fact that they were in sin and they wanted to be saved and they believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and they were willing to be immersed for the remission of their sins. There were no entangling alliances in the New Testament church. You know, the church cannot lose her identity uh, in any movement. I want to say that again. The church built by Jesus cannot lose its identity in any movement. It must remain free from political connections. It must remain free from economical connections and secular involvements. According to Philippians 2, 12, verse 16 and 2 Corinthians 6, 
verse 14 through 18. We are the Lord's church. We're not a political organization. We're not a sports society as such. We are a group of men and women who've been purified through our obedience to the gospel of Christ, who gather to serve the Lord and go out to win people to Jesus Christ. Denominationalism in the world today is the result of, first of all, a disregard for Christ's authority. There would be no denominations today, not a single one, if everybody regarded the authority of Jesus Christ. Denominationalism exists today as a result of corrupting God's plan for teaching and work and worship. I don't know of a denomination that will tell you today that you can't be saved outside their group. They all believe you can be saved in any denomination. But the Bible teaches you cannot be saved outside the Lord's church. It's just that simple. You must be a part of the Lord's church. You must be in His church. And you must be dedicated to Him. The church built by Jesus is not a denomination. Those of us who are members of it occupy an undenominational position. We plead for all men to abandon the things that divide professing Christians and occupy with us this undenominational ground. There are attempts, always have been, I suppose, to change the church that Jesus built into a denomination. And that's really regrettable. There are those who seem bent on changing the church into a full-fledged denomination. When such occurs, the church ceases to be the Lord's church and becomes another man-made institution. Any unopposed and uncorrected era is, is a step down the road to apostasy. Within the Lord's body, any time we fail to oppose and fail to correct era that is taught, we are, we're starting a trip down the wrong road. And it will eventually lead us into digression and sin. Placing unauthorized responsibility upon the church contributes to a denominational posture. Well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, unauthorized practices leading to denominational status. What are they? One denominational practice that never occurred in the Lord's church was instrumental music. A lot of people want to know, well, why don't you people have a piano? It's not because we don't have the money to buy one, and it's not because we don't have people who can play one. We don't have it because the Lord doesn't authorize it. They would sing and make melody in their hearts to the Lord. That's a purely denominational practice. And you know, when it was first introduced, many of the leading men in denominations opposed it. They realized it was a departure from the truth, and it certainly is. We don't have choruses and choirs in the congregation. Every person in the congregation is, is uh, responsible for singing and making melody in their heart to the Lord. We don't have church-sponsored rummage sales and garage sales because that's not a work of the church. It's purely a denominational practice. And as a result, we have no part of it. We don't even sponsor scout troops. We don't have a scout troop. We don't have a night where we get all the Boy Scouts together and, and uh, glorify them and encourage them. We don't have Christmas and Easter programs of worship. First of all, because there certainly is no command from God to do that. And it is very prevalent in the denominational world. 
We don't have plays and art shows for edification. We don't have our little boys and girls enacting out some kind of a play for the church as a means of teaching or as a means of allowing people to learn more about what we believe. We don't have a children's church. Do you realize that today there are many, many religious organizations that have actually two assemblies every Sunday. They have an assembly for the adult people, and then they have an assembly for the little kids. And that assembly is in another building over here with the idea that children just can't learn, and for that reason they're going to take them over there and teach them in a separate uh, place. Well, you don't find that in the Bible. Not one word is ever said to justify. Call me if I'm getting out of time. Uh, justify a church dividing itself into two assemblies, the little boys and girls and the members of the church. We do not support hospitals and benevolent institutions. Now, a lot of times I hear people say, well, you know, there are a lot of, inf- I mean, there are a lot of uh, infants out there and a lot of children out there that are orphaned and they, they need help. Why don't we build an organization to take care of Or why don't we give money to some organization that's doing that job? Well, first of all, that's the job the Lord never gave the church, period. And secondly, as members, individual members of the body of Christ, we certainly can do everything we choose to do uh, in helping someone who's in need, whether it be an orphan or whether it be an old person, but that's merely another denominational practice that has become extremely popular, and even some churches who call themselves the churches of Christ have become involved in that. We don't have youth camps and retreats. We don't have a retreat for our women. We don't have a retreat for our men. We don't have a a youth camp for our children because it's unauthorized. It's a part of the denominational structure and the denominational makeup. Is it possible? Is it possible for the church that Jesus built to become a denomination? And the answer is yes, it is. It's possible for the Lord's church to become a denomination when we renounce what the Bible teaches and begin to embrace what the denominations are doing. It's just that simple. We don't want that to happen. Has it happened? I believe it has. I believe there have been situations where churches just simply got off the wrong track, traveled down the wrong road, and they are today nothing more than a denomination. That raises another question. Is it possible for the name Church of Christ to be used in a denominational connotation. I believe that's possible truth. Two, it is possible to denominationalize that name. Now, there's nothing in the name Church of Christ that is denominational, but we could denominationalize it by misusing it. It is just as scriptural, and you know, I'm going to say this because I believe it to be true. If brethren, sincere brethren, out of no reason whatsoever, should put a sign out front, the body of Christ meets here, that would not be unscriptural. Because this is the body of Christ. It's just that simple. And we could refer to the Lord's church just as easily by saying it's the body of Christ. There would be nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with using any name or designation that's given in the scriptures. Now, if I do that for the purpose of creating division or building an organization that would follow me, I'm wrong. I'm wrong in that. Are there, are there denominations today that use the name Church of Christ, but yet they're not the Church of Christ? Yes, there are. There are some denominations that will use that name, but when you look at their work and their worship and their actions, you know immediately they're not the church Jesus built. And so we not only have to wear a name that we read in the Bible, 
but we also have to live the kind of life and practice the kinds of things that indicate we are indeed the separate church that Jesus built, and we are no part. We are no part of that uh, of any denomination. I want to say one more thing, then I'll quit. When the when the Catholic Church gained rule and power hundreds of years ago, there were a lot of corruptible ideas that were being propagated, and there were a lot of horrible things that were taking place. And there were good men, honest men, in that day and time, who realized that they were wrong. And they rose up. Martin Luther was one of them. John Calvin was another one. And there were other men who had honest desire to correct some of the uh, errors in Catholicism. The problem was they believed that somehow they could transform the Catholic Church. Well, they couldn't, and they didn't. And in the process of their desire to transform that, they created what I believe to be another evil, denominationalism. And as a result, many of those men went out and started their own denomination. You know, some of them pled with their followers, don't call yourself Lutherans. Martin Luther did that. Don't call yourself Lutherans. But they did anyway. And as a result of that, we have major denominations like the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church, the Lutheran Church, the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church, all of these are denominations. And they represent, in fact, no part of the Lord's Church.